Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. So over the years, when I've had a chance to be in the pulpit um, and I've spoken different messages, they really are all connected. And the one I want to give this morning really continues in the vein of the things that I've been talking about for quite a while. A year and a half ago, I shared a message about the secrets of the kingdom of God. And we were looking at the parable of the sower, or the seed in the sower. And we find this in Matthew 13 and Luke 8. And in this parable, as we looked at this, Jesus speaks the parable. And when he's done, the disciples ask him, they say, can you explain what that means? We really don't understand that. And Jesus, before he goes into the explanation, says, he said to them, you have been given, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Right Now he says this right after he explained the parable, or he gave the parable. So this is a moment where we pay attention because this is about the secret of the kingdom of heaven. And in the parable, Jesus, I'm just summarizing this for you, Jesus gives four different scenarios, but in each one of those scenarios are the exact three elements in each one. There are seeds, there is soil, and there is the assault. Seeds, soil, the assault in every one of these. And he goes on and explains this, and he said, what you have to understand is that the seed is the word of God. The soil where the word of God is planted into is your heart. And there is an assault against those seeds being planted into your heart. And when he's done explaining this, he ends the parable and the explanation with this, and it's Luke 8. He said, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and through perseverance produce a crop more than what was sown in it. So he talks about this fruitful life is what is to be true of us in the kingdom of God. For every single person, there is a fruitful life that we are to have. And as I've talked to people throughout the years about this idea of their calling, what is this specific fruitful life that God has given them to live? Where we almost always go is to this idea of feeling stuck. Right? I, I just feel stuck in my life with my calling, with understanding who I am and living this life that God has given me to live. They'll say things like this. You know, I was on my way to something important in my life and then everything stopped, it seemed like, and I, I was stuck. Or, you know, I had this dream, this idea, this desire, and it was starting to take off and to fly and then it got tangled into something and it seemed like it got stuck. Or I was getting free, I was getting free from something that had a stranglehold on me, and as I got free, something else got a stranglehold on me, and I was stuck. I want to give you a picture of what this looks like. And this is actually a Ford commercial that was played in the 2017 um, Super Bowl. 
This is a great picture of what it looks like to be stuck. Watch with me. That was such a great picture of being stuck in so many ways. And I love at the end, they say, no one likes being stuck, right? But we all experience it. I, I love the words to the song where they said, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say and say it loud and say it clear for the whole world to hear. God has put something in you, a certain type of brilliance, a, a message. He has given you a skill, an artistry, which I talked about a month ago, which you are to present to the world. You're to speak it. You're to do it loudly, freely to the world. This, this thing that you're to do and offer with purity, with power, with joyousness, with graciousness, but we need to be free. And the assault against us is real, right? Jesus, again, he made it very clear with the secret to the kingdom of God. There are seeds, which is the truth of the word of God. There is our heart, which is the soil. That gets, those seeds get planted there. But there is the assault against those seeds and our heart. He makes it so clear. But, but let me ask you, how do you see things when you are stuck? What, what do you think is the problem with your stuckness when you feel stuck? Is it you? Are you the problem? Are you not trying hard enough? Is it other people? All those other people that stop my dream, stop my walk from happening, stop the things I'm supposed to be doing? Or do you view it as God, right? God, why don't you make a way? You never do this for me. Why don't you step up, God, and do the thing that you asked me to do? What is it? Is it you? Is it others? Is it God? George Otis Jr. wrote this. As Christians, we have been taught by Scripture and tradition to acknowledge the spiritual dimension as the true nucleus of reality. Human endeavor is a related but dependent outer layer. This, at any rate, is what we say. In truth, many Christians have become practical atheists. It's so true. We believe that spirituality is the center, the nucleus of all things, but often we just live like it isn't. Right? We, we blame other people. We blame circumstances on things. We look to fix things. And he's saying, no, there's, there's a different thing going on. I mean, this is what Jesus was speaking to in the parable, right? There is, there is an assault against our heart. There is someone who is actively working to make us fail. And then the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Peter 5.8 when he said, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a rolling, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? Paul is saying, be alert and be sober-minded because you have an enemy. It's real. There is, again, there's someone who wants you to fail, and it's not God. And it's not others. And it's not even you. But we have an enemy. Have you heard the expression? I'm sure you have. I hope you have. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. When you know the enemy, you know who he is, you know where he is, and you know how he attacks, you are forearmed now. 
right? You can fight that enemy at this point. And Scripture does this throughout the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, all these stories talk about how does the Bible attack? What is he after? What does he do? We have specific stories about who the enemy is and how he fights. The Bible is continually trying to forewarn us so we will be forearmed in this. And what I found over the years talking with people, and very specifically about their calling, this fruitful life that God has given them to live, talking to them, looking at my own life, and looking at Scripture, I found that there is a pattern. And I found it seems to be at play all the time. And the pattern is this. Let me give you the four words, and then we'll go through those. It's distancing, diminishing, disdaining, disqualifying. This seems to be the pattern of attack the enemy uses. And he, and he seems to use these as I see this in succession. And when you see this, you go, oh, I can see what's going on. I'm not going to play into that. I see it's the enemy. So let, let's go through these. Now, let me set the stage a little more for this idea of the distancing attack in our life. Distancing, again, it, it is, well, l- let me start with some scripture. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus praying for us, it's often referred to as a high priestly prayer. So Jesus is praying for his disciples right there, and he's saying all of those who will follow after them and follow after him. So I'm just going to go through a couple of verses in this prayer. So John 17, 12, Jesus prays, Father, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. And then in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying that the Father will now protect his disciples, those who would follow after him, from the evil one. Now verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And verse 22, I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus, as he's praying, is praying for our protection. He's also acknowledging here that as as Jesus came in this world with great purpose and mission, so have you. And the enemy is after you for that reason. And then you see here where he said, um, yeah, that you've come into this world with great purpose and that you bear a part of the glory of God as Jesus bore the glory of God in his life. Now, two more verses to set the stage. Proverbs 4.22, you've heard me talk about this almost every time I get a chance to speak. 4.22, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Okay, so think heart. Think soil, back to the parable of the sower, right? The heart is the issue right there. Everything you do flows from the heart. And then Philippians 2.13, it's all setting the groundwork. It is God who is producing you both the desire, and some translations use the word will instead of desire. It is God who's producing you the desire or the will and the ability to do what pleases him. Where does he put that? Well, according to the parable and the secret of the kingdom, he puts it in your heart because that's the soil. That's where he plants that. Okay, so let me go back now. The first assault against us is a distancing assault. It's the enemy wants to distance us from our heart and its desires so that we will be disoriented and 
deactivated. He's trying to distance us from our heart. Now, if the enemy fails to stop the seed of the gospel from being planted into your heart, which is what he tries to do, but you hear about Jesus Christ in one way or another, you hear about him, and that seed is planted in your heart, and you give your life to Christ. You believe, as we were going through communion, we talked about that. We believe that he died for my sin, and he is my life now. Okay, if the Satan can't stop that seed from being planted in your heart and taking root, then he says, well, then I will try to stop that from becoming an oak of righteousness, as it says in, in Isaiah 61.3. I will try to stop them, that disciple, that person, from becoming a display of his glory. That's in that same verse about becoming an oak of righteousness. And the way he does this is try to distance you from your heart. One of the ways that Satan distances us from our heart is through wounding and deep hurt. Um, because that is where there is fertile ground for lies. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Okay, so he said, now again, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. So let me help you understand your enemy. He is a liar. He's the originator of all lies. This is what he does. So be on your guard. So there are, there's wounding and there's deep hurt that comes in our life. And that's the ground where Jesus says, I have a lie. I'm going to plant it right there. It's another seed that I want to plant in there. And the deadliest thing about wounding and deep hurt in our life are the lies that are injected into our heart in the midst of these. That's the deadly thing. It's like getting a snake bite. It's the venom that does the real lasting damage, not the bite. The bite will go away, but the venom that's injected, that's what does the lasting, deepest, most devastating damage. And it is the same way with the wounds that we have in our life and those deep hurts. In my conversations, again, with people, as we talk about being stuck and tell me about your life and do you, under, do you believe you have a calling and let's, let's dive into your heart to find out how has God written that in your heart? Almost every time what I find is the obstacles to their clarity, to their calling, and to their courage always goes back to wounds in their life when they're honest when they really look at their life, it always goes back to something back there. A, a, a bite, if you will, a snake bite in their life. And the venom and the lie that was deposited in them and spread throughout their system that is just preventing them from moving forward. This happens every time, I'm telling you. Every time it's predictable because the enemy is predictable because we've been forewarned. And research has shown that almost every person that has ever been bitten by a snake, especially if they've been poisoned by its venom and survived, are deathly afraid of snakes after that, right? In other words, they don't want anything to do with a snake ever for any reason, at any time, <laughs> under any circumstance. And does it make sense? I mean, I don't like snakes anyway, and I've never been bitten, but I guarantee you if I was bitten, I would be vigilant all the time. I would stay away from snakes with everything in me. This is exactly how the enemy works. He allows a wound to come into your life. And maybe he actually choreographs someone wounding you deeply, a deep hurt. And then we say, I will never get close to that again. I'm going to stay away from my heart. This, because the way those wounds happen is when your heart is open. That's how it happens. And we stay away. We say, I'm not going near that again. 
and the enemy is going perfect. That's exactly where I want you is away from your heart. And so I hear statements from people when I know they're distanced from their heart like this. I, Gary, I just feel dull. I, I don't care strongly about anything. I have no idea what I want or what I desire. I don't know how to be quiet with God. I can't stop working. I'm depressed and angry frequently. I really don't know what's going on inside of me. I don't know who I am. I can't find God even though I know Him. I'm uncomfortable with my life all the time. These are things that I hear that tell me this person is distanced from their heart. The enemy has gotten in and has done this. But Scripture says to guard our heart, not disregard it, but, re, but guard it carefully. So my question to you now, has, have you done that serious, um, alert, and sober-minded work that Paul talked about, or was talked about in 1 Peter 5.8? Have you done it? Ignoring a snake bite isn't going to make the venom go away. It's not. It just gives the venom more time to spread throughout your system where it starts to destroy cells and it starts to destroy your nerve endings and eventually ends in paralysis. And how many people have been paralyzed in their walk with God? Have you looked for the snake bites in your life in order to extract their poison, the lies that kept you distant from your heart and your God-given desires? Dan Allender wrote, What you fail to face in the past will blind you to the future. Let me read that again. What you fail to face in the past will blind you to the future. Right? So if we're going to be, we are forewarned. If we're going to be forearmed, we need to take care of our past. Too many people say, the past is the past. Who cares? The problem is the past is with you now. The past is playing itself out in your life now. The past is preventing you from seeing the future now. Right? We have to do that. We must go back in order to go forward. We must go back in order to go forward. And this is something that we have to do in the community of believers, right? With friends, with counselors, with mentors, with spiritual directors, with therapists. We, we need to do this in the community of believers. I love how Pastor James Ford Jr. out of Chicago, I love listening to him. One of the things he said was, don't let your back then mess up your right now because you will never get to your not yet. It's true. If we're going to be serious as disciples of Christ, we need to deal with these things. We need to not be distant from our heart, but address the things that are true about our heart. So there's distancing. That's the first thing the enemy will do is try to keep us distant from our heart, especially through pain and deep hurt. But if we refuse to let that happen, like, no, no, I'm going to live from my heart. I'm going to be aware of my interior life. Then he goes, okay, right. You want to find your calling, this, this artistry that God has given you, this, this compelling that's in your heart, this, this part of your fruitfulness. If you're going to look for it, then then he comes after you with diminishment. And diminishment plays out this way. It plays out, he tries to get you to see your gifting as much as you see it is not worth much, not effective, 
It's really very small. It, it's kind of embarrassing, actually, how little your gifting, your artistry really is. That's what he's trying to do. See, diminishment is more often heard, um, while distancing is more often felt. The assault of diminishment often comes at us in, in the form of accusations. We hear these accusations coming at us. You see, Satan is not only the father of lies, as Jesus said in John 8, 44, but it's also revealed that he's the accuser of the believers, of the brethren. Revelation 12, 10. He's constantly, Revelation said, accusing us, believers, the children of God, to the Father. And of course, the book of Job is a great picture of what that looks like. But he also accuses us. I mean, ac accusing is, he, it, he's very good at this trade. Very good at this trade. And what makes Satan's accusations so potent is they come to us as our internal voice, mimicking our voice. And so we tend to entertain them. We, could, we hear these accusations, and I'll give you some examples in a second. We tend to hear them. It sounds like us, and we think, well, that's reasonable. I know me. I think that is true. Now, I've asked people, you know, for years when I was doing these calling retreats, these calling seminars, and talking about this, I've asked them, what are the accusations that you feel? What are these diminishing thoughts that you have that dog you? And I've recorded what they have said throughout the years. And, and let me give you a few of them. And, and I relate to all these, some more strongly than others. But let me read you some of these internal statements, these diminishing thoughts that the enemy is so good at using and making them think that they are our real thoughts and they're true. Here's one. This thought, this accusation of, you don't belong here. Some of you may have heard that when you walked in this building, that whisper of, you don't belong here. Or you sat down and you looked at the people around you and something said, you don't belong here. Emmy's good at, at that accusation. Or, they don't want to hear from you. You don't make sense. It's too late for you. You don't know what you're talking about. You ever heard that? Thought comes in, a way to help somebody, you observe something, and that accusing voice says, you don't know what you're talking about. Or, you're a disappointment. You have nothing to offer. You've messed up your life too much. The enemy is good at this. Again, he puts these little thoughts, these accusations, these diminishing thoughts into our mind. And, and if we accept them and we embrace them as our own, as true, what it will do was, will cause us to withdraw and withhold. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to get us to do, right? Not live that fruitful life, right? 30, 60, and 100-fold what was planted into us. Now, let me give you what I think is one of the common grounds, if you will, seedbed grounds for diminishing thoughts, accusations, and that is the ground of comparison, Okay, so let, as, I'm, as I'm sharing this, you know, think about, have you ever experienced this before? So you experience another person's artistry. I'm, I'm using all these words interchangeably. Their artistry, their calling, their gifting, the, the glory of God that they carry in their life to bring out to the world. And you experience that. And especially if it's in the realm of something that's similar to you, something you want to have true, you think is true of your life, and the enemy is right there whispering something like, people don't respond to you like they respond to him or her. You know, 
You're nothing like that. Um, that doesn't, you see the reaction people have to them? They don't have that reaction to you. When you pray, things don't happen like when that person prays, right? It's that, it's that voice we're hearing of comparison. That voice of you're just kind of a lightweight, you're amateur, right? You're just an imitation. Or how about that diminishing, accusing thought of, you see, that's why no one asks you to speak. That's why no one asks you to pray. That's why no one's asking you to meet with them. That's why no one's asking you to lead or to write or to work as they do that person. See, the accuser is right there. That's what's so deadly about comparison. He gets you to compare, and then the accusing voice comes in, and then we shut down. But let me say to you that the antidote to that kind of diminishing thought that comes from comparison is not to diminish the other person in your mind. It's not to make them less so that you can feel good about yourself. That will never work. You're playing into the enemy's hands. But it's to realize this. Another person's calling or gifting or artistry never diminishes your own. Okay, this is so important. Remember this, because this is what can disarm the enemy. Another person's calling or artistry never diminishes your own. You have your own. Every person's gifting or calling or artistry is needed, and the more the better. Every person's gifting or calling has its own function and place in the kingdom. Every person's gifting, calling, artistry is developing. All right, so you have to play against that accusing diminishing thought that the enemy brings to us. In Galatians 6, 4, and 5, this is in the message version. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life, right? Own your life, develop it, and then offer it to others. That's such a good word. So, the enemy tries to distance yourself from your heart. And if you refuse to do that, then he tries to diminish your understanding and your ownership of the artistry, the calling, the weightiness of your life. And if you refuse to go with those accusations, then he tries to get disdain to work. He brings disdaining in. And let me explain this. Disdaining is saying, it's not saying, okay, you know, yeah, what you have to offer is so little, your gifting is just not worth it, there's no value to it. It's rather saying, I, it's rather his ability to try to get us to the point where we say, God, take this away, turn this off, I don't want this anymore. And the way he does this is that he gets you, you step out and you start to offer what you see, what you perceive in a person's life or in a situation, what you understand, what you can do, and you step forward to help. And then what happens to you is criticism and ridicule and rejection. And the enemy plays that out with you. See what happens? See, see what happens when you try to step forward? And you get to the point where you go, okay, I don't want this anymore. And, 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 and the real danger, the, the, the pain of this is not so much the rejection that takes place in the moment, but the tormenting messages that stay with you after that, right? After you offer and it doesn't go well, 
like I said, in terms of rejection or ridicule or criticism. It's a tormenting message like this. This is the enemy. It's not worth it, right? That's what makes people not want to be around you when you do that. You do more harm than good. That's that tormenting messages we start to hear when this happens, we offer. And the enemy's right there to go, I'm going to get you to disdain the very gifting of God that he has given you. And the disdaining statements that we make sound like this. I wish I didn't see this way. I, I wish I didn't notice these things in people's lives or in situations. I wish God would stop asking me to speak up. I wish God would stop asking me to pray over people or to get involved in situations. And we just say, God, seriously, just stop. Just turn this off. I don't want this anymore. It doesn't go well. And it's a dangerous place to be when we start to dislike the life of God in us. In fact, in Psalm 4.2, it reads, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? That's what the enemy wants us to do, is, is to look at this life and experience this life, and then through these, this pain, we just start to, it just feels like shame. I don't want it. Take it away. The enemy wants to do that. He wants us to walk away from those things that make us who we are and our place in the body of Christ. Now, if none of this works, if we go, no, I'm not buying it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live wholeheartedly. And, and I do believe what God has given me is important and it's for others. And I am going to own it and develop it so I can do I'm not going to disdain it even if it's hard. Then he plays his ace card, and that is the card of disqualifying. Disqualifying. He whispers into our ear, I know what you did. I know your present. I know your past. I know what you thought. What makes you think you have a right to do anything in the kingdom? You don't. You are disqualified. It's too late. You've crossed the line. It's over. He'll play that. Because you see, with the sensitivity that Christ has given us with our new heart, our sensitivity to sin and disobedience, that, that is enough to take us out. And the enemy's plan is to do that. See, the enemy, he will tempt us into sin, and once we sin, then he condemns us for it. He plays both sides. And he hopes that being condemned of our own sin that he trapped us into will take us away from God, right? Where we go, I, I just can't even spend time with God now. I can't, I can't read. I can't pray. I, I, I just can't do this anymore. And that will work if we are not immersed into the Word of God. We have to be immersed into the Word of God and all that it means, or we will buy into the slide of disqualification every time. You see, that's what we just did in communion, right? That's what Billy talked about, right? We have to together get together and say, we are remembering the death of Christ for us, the blood of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the life of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, His love and His mercy. We have to remember this again and again. Because you see, when we sin, Jesus Christ is still our answer. It's easy to get to a point of, you know, when I came, became a Christian, Jesus was my answer, right? He died for my sin, I came to faith, but now I have got to get my act together and keep it together. Jesus is always our answer. He's always our solution. It's never changed. And so we just go right back to him like we did in the beginning. 
And so we have to remember, let me give you a few verses that we have to hold on to and remember. Right? Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Right? Now we're fighting this disqualification accusation. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Of course I sin. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, it's really as Mike Bickle said, as believers, we don't love sin and struggle with God. We love God and struggle with sin. That's the truth. That's the truth. And then Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. Okay? Hold on to that, right? When the enemy's playing this out, you're disqualified. No good. You're out. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. He doesn't pull them back. And just one more. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Yes. 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 Even though the enemy is saying no, no, no. The answer is yes. Yes. So let, when we stumble, when we find ourselves struggling with sin and sinning, let it drive us back to God's love and his sacrifice and his mercy and his pursuit. And that's where the enemy goes, darn, that's not what I wanted to have happen when I was condemning him for his sin. Now, I want to play for you. I want, to, I, want, I want you to see being stuck with the enemy's assault against our life in a different way right now. I'm going to show you another clip. And this clip is from the BBC Earth Dynasties series. Just a short little clip. But again, I want you to watch this with the eyes of your heart. I want you to hear it with the ears of your heart. In, in the context of all that we have just talked about, right, that you have been given this abundant, weighty, beautiful, strong life to bring to this world, but there is an enemy who is going after you. So watch this first part of the clip. We're going to stop and talk about this for a second, and then I'm going to show you the second half. So watch this with me. Okay, there's a pretty graphic picture, right, of, of the, uh, the, the life that we live in, that there is an enemy, there is an assault against the calling, the artistry, the strength, the glory, of the, God, the glory of God that we carry in our life to others. The things that strike me about this, and I wish we were in a smaller group so we could really talk about this, but the things that strike me is they start with, Red, the lion, ventured out alone. This is the temptation that we all have, is to live life alone. Yeah, we're sitting in here together right now, but are you alone? Many times we are just alone. We venture out alone. And then this idea that the hyenas are trying to wear him down, and he, can, he can't fight them all at one time. You see, the enemy has been assaulting your life from the beginning. He's aware that you're made in the image of God. He's aware that you have been given great purpose as a child of God to bring to this world, and he's been coming against you in every way he can. And when we fail to deal with those things in our life, to fight the enemy every time something happens. We fail to look back in order to go forward. We let these things accumulate in our life. We're in trouble. 
right? We can't fight them all at one time. So we fight the enemy as those things come up, every time when they come up. We stay current with that. We keep fighting. Instead of like the position that Red found himself in, wandering into the middle of a pack of hyenas. And the idea that he just was getting worn out. That's what the enemy wants to do. So my, one of my encouragements to you is if right now you feel worn out, it's time to get your heart back. It's time to find out why. Because the battle's not going to stop because you're tired. The battle may intensify. All right, so let me take you back to the second part of this clip. Can I say to you, it's a little frightening to turn around and see myself on the screens. <laughs> you, you guys got to do that faster next time. <laughs> oh. I love the fact that in the midst of this, right, he is overwhelmed. The odds are against him. In fact, he's not going to survive at this point. But in his cry, right, his ally, Tartu, hears him and comes to him. And that's what saves him at this moment. So my question to you is this. Are you fighting alone? First, are you fighting are you really fighting or are you just giving in? And number two, if you are fighting, are you fighting alone? And are you letting it accumulate? Because you won't survive that. And then my other question is, do you have a friend? Do you have a friend that can hear the cries of your heart? They can hear the tone of your voice and know you're in trouble and you need help. They can look into your eyes and see the battle that you are in right now. Do you have a friend that will run to your side? Because we all need that. We all absolutely need that. I love the phrase, right? A pair of lions are too much for a pride to take on. Pride of hyenas. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name. You know, we need that two or three all the time to gather around us. And going back to this idea of friends, do you have friends with scars? I hope you do, right? They have been through the battle. They know what it's like. They've fought. They understand. They don't want you fighting alone. They know they can't fight alone. We need friends with scars, which means we are very open and transparent, honest with each other. Because there's nothing surprising about what we're going through because the other person's going through it as well. The enemy is predictable. That's what Satan was saying. That's what Paul was saying. He's predictable. So we need enemies with scars. And again, someone who will fight with us who recognizes our voice. Let me ask the worship band to come up if they will, worship group team. In John 17, 22, we take you back to this. Jesus says, I have given them to you, Father. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Right? So as Jesus prayed for us, he wanted us to be one. As he prayed against the enemy, saying, there is an enemy, Father, protect them in the name that you have given me. And we stand in the name, the name of Jesus. We pray in that name, we fight in that name, we speak in that name. And he said, we are to be one in that, right, for each other, right? We are the Tartu for each other. We run to each other's aid. So I'm with you. We'll fight those hyenas off. We'll fight the enemy. And I'm fighting for you that the world will experience the freedom of the artistry, the glory, the calling, the weightiness of your life because the world needs it and I need it. And they need you to fight for me as well to do the same. 
Because the glory of another person never diminishes our own, the glory of our life. We are in the story, as I talked about a while back, of becoming and overcoming. That's our story. We are becoming and we are overcoming. And God has called us to take this journey of becoming and overcoming with others in the faith community. And the critical issue in this journey with each other is not, am I happy, but am I free? Am I free to walk in the life he has given me? Am I free to freely offer to the world the life of Christ in me to others? And we need to fear not and fight on. We are to fear not the enemy because we have been forewarned and we are to fight on. So we're going to end with this song that we, that we sang earlier, No Longer a Slave to Fear. But let me once again reiterate some of these words because if we sing it in worship, we're also processing it with God at the same time. So some of the words, From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. Right? You are chosen. You are sent into this world by God. I have been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're sons and daughters. Let us sing of our freedom. So let's sing of our freedom together. Let me invite you to stand up as we do this, reflecting on the message and, and say back to God, I know I'm free. I know you fought for me. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.